let's, uh, let's get to work. Matthew chapter 7. If you don't have a Bible, there should be one there on the pew. Uh, honestly, we have tons of work to do today. In fact, we've got far more to do today in talking about false teaching and false prophets than we can finish in a Sunday morning session. So let me just give it to you up front what we're going to do. Today we're going to look at what Scripture says about false prophets, false preachers, false teaching... And we're going to kind of build the foundation because if you've ever built a house, you know, you can't build a good house unless you have a good foundation. And next week, we're going to look at, we're going to look at videos, we're going to picture statements of a lot of popular preachers and teachers today. Next week, we're going to look at the teaching of Joel Osteen, Benny Hinn, and Joyce Myers specifically. Y'all okay? All right. Because here's the thing. As a pastor, as a shepherd, uh, there's a lot of teaching out there. No matter if you don't even watch Christian television, you get it. Like it, it, it just seeps in somehow. And the thing that regardless if you're a, a follower of Jesus here this morning or not, you have to ask yourself the question, and it's a very easy answer, is everyone who claims to speak for Jesus actually speaking for Jesus? And is every single person that stands behind, I don't even know if you could call this a full pulpit, behind a a pulpit or a lectern and, and holds a Bible, does that mean that every single person who does that is actually teaching what the Bible says? Is every Christian leader actually leading people to Christ? Or could it be that some of what we are told is Christian teaching and preaching today actually quite the opposite? And for those of you that have families and children and students, the most important role that you have in their life is not just to provide them with education or to get them to school or to provide them clothes and food, but it's to provide for them the truth of God's word. Because we hear parents say things all the time about how, uh, what a scary world we live in. Would you agree with that? You have kids or you want to have kids in the future. You're like, man, there is some jacked up stuff. I mean, and years ago, there's always been messed up stuff. But now it's just so open and so crazy. And so everything out of the closet. You think, man, how do I raise my children in such a world? What we want to do today and next Sunday is give you tools from the word of God to where you can give guidance to your family, regardless if you're a dad or if you're a single mom. Give guidance to your children and to yourself so that you will not fall into what Jesus calls false teaching and false prophets. So let's go to Matthew chapter 7 and begin to read there in verse 15, and we'll go all the way through verse 20 and listen to what Jesus says. He says, beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are what? Ravenous or ravening wolves. You will recognize them by their what? Their fruits. Then he gives an example. Are grapes gathered from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? So every healthy tree bears good fruit, but the diseased tree or the bad tree bears bad fruit. A healthy tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor can a diseased tree bear good fruit. Every, notice, no exceptions, every, every, every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. 
Thus, or therefore, you will. Jesus says, not maybe, but you will know them or recognize them by their fruits. And so here Jesus, giving us basically three solid chapters of the real McCoy, comes to the end and says, by the way, before we conclude this sermon, I've got to let you guys know, you've got to be on the lookout. I've been told that employees of the Mint who are trained to detect counterfeit, their training involves not dealing with counterfeit, but primarily up front, dealing with only the real thing. And when they know what the real thing looks like and feels like, they can detect the wrong thing. So here's Jesus giving us solid teaching. That a lot of us, we look at it, I mean, everything from lust to divorce to swearing to loving our enemies. And we're like, man, that is, that is hard stuff. Jesus gives us the truth, but then says, you've got to be careful because there is a question. If there's something good out there, isn't there always somebody who wants to rip it off? If there's a good product, think Rolex. Think Oakley's for those of you that are of my ilk and you enjoy flea markets. You've probably come across Folkley's. They look like Oakley's. They have the O on there, but they're not. They're fake Oakley's. It's like, it's like no, nobody wants to make a, to make a ripoff product of something that's garbage. Think about it. People try to rip off and imitate what's actually good. So here's Jesus saying, this teaching is from me. It's from the Father. It's true. What's going to happen is people are going to come after me and they're going to try to give you a rip-off teaching but tell you it's the real McCoy. And the the case study for this, the ultimate example, is the Antichrist. Not little Antichrist, not David Koresh's, not weird cults. But the Antichrist, I mean, slicker than an oil spill. Like this guy is going to be able to communicate. He's going to be able to deal with nations, people, skills of an epic proportion. The Antichrist will be able to, according to the Bible in Matthew 24, to even deceive people who've genuinely been saved, if it were possible, if it were not for the grace of God. So that's serious stuff. Now we think back into some of those those uh, folklore tales that we heard as a kid. Remember the Pied Piper? Remember that as a kid? Pied Piper coming through Germany, rat infestation, came to the town. He said, I can play my magic flute and I can get rid of your rat problem. The story goes that he did. The rats followed him. All fell into the river except for one. Drowned. Or if you're from the south, drowned. And, and then he went back to the town and the leader of that 13th century town in Germany, Hamlin, Germany, refused to pay him. And so the Pied Piper's revenge was that he began to play his flute and all of the children of the town followed the Pied Piper into a cave and they were never seen again except for one crippled boy who couldn't make it in the cave. That's why the title of today's message is religious Pied Pipers. They sound good. What they say is encouraging. They speak in the name of Jesus. But if we're going to be followers of Christ, and if you're here trying to search, you're a a truth seeker, you may not even believe that the Bible is true, yet we are glad that you're here. Right, church? 
Rocky Mount Baptist Church, we do, we're not that kind of church that says, you have questions because guess what? If you have a brain, you will have questions. And if you're a school teacher, you're like, sometimes I wonder. I ask, does that make sense? And they're just staring with blank looks. We welcome questions because it's Jesus who's the one who said in Matthew 7 that if we ask, if we seek, if we knock, then we will find. God wants us to pursue the truth. But something that Jesus gave us last week that we covered there in verse 12 and 13 is he said there is a narrow way that leads to life. There's a narrow gate. There's a narrow turnstile to where only one person can enter at a time. And then there's a super highway of easy life, easy preaching that everyone is going down. You say, Jeff, why does it seem like Jesus, time and time again, is warning? It's almost like Jesus is negative. Why does Jesus warn us so often of false teaching and then about ourselves? Let me give you a statement by John MacArthur. He said, the reason why there's so many warnings from Jesus is because, quote, there's always a market for false teachers. Unquote. Let me give you a verse. Matthew 24, verse 11. Jesus said, many false prophets will arise and will lead many astray. Matthew 24, verse 24, Jesus says, For false Christs and false prophets will arise and perform great signs and wonders as to lead astray, if possible, even the elect. So here's Jesus saying that in the end times specifically, and we're closer to the end times today than we were yesterday. I've had the question before as a pastor, Jeff, do you believe that we're in the end times? We've been in the end times ever since Jesus ascended. Y'all all right? Because the return of Christ is imminent. Tribulation could start at any time when Jesus comes. So the warning against false prophets, something for us to understand, is this This does not just start with Jesus. This goes all the way back to the Old Testament and the Mosaic Law, which was the first, uh, I guess we could say, bulk delivery of God's revelation of who he was to the world. If you're taking notes... Deuteronomy chapter 13, beginning in verse 1. The Bible says, If a prophet or a dreamer of dreams arises among you and gives you a sign or a wonder, and the sign or wonder that he tells you comes to pass, and if he says, Let us go after other gods which you have not known, and let us serve them, you shall not listen to the words of that prophet or the dreamer of dreams. So number one, the way that you can detect a false prophet is if they say something's going to happen and it doesn't happen. Case point, uh, 88 reasons why Jesus is returning in 1988. False teaching. Because the Bible tells us no man knows the day or the hour when Jesus is coming. But Deuteronomy chapter 13 says, even if somebody comes and they do a miracle or say something's going to come to pass and their conclusion from the miracle is that I've got a better God than the one true God, don't listen to him. It says, for the Lord your God is testing you to know whether you love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul. Deuteronomy chapter 18 and verse 22, the Bible says, when a prophet speaks in the name of the Lord, if the word does not come to pass or to come true, that is a word from the Lord, that that is a word that the Lord has not spoken. 
In a lot of churches in America, the so-called gift of prophecy is very, very popular. There's a girl I knew at one time, and and uh, she said that um, she had given me a Bible. That we had met on a mission trip, and I had given her an English Bible. She was helping out with translation, and she told me uh, over the internet, over email, she said, I was at church, and a lady told me at my church, she said, you're going to marry the man who gave you that Bible. God told me that you will marry the man who gave you that Bible. I mean, she was just all, all to pieces. I mean, wouldn't you be? And she's like, oh my gosh, she's crazy, right? It's not true. If someone comes to you and they say, God told me, or God told me you will be healed, and the person's not healed, it's not from God. Because God's not like us. Aren't you glad? God does not make mistakes. God's not like Homer Simpson. Dole, right? I mean, God does not make mistakes. If God says something, it's going to come to pass. Let me give you another uh, verse here in Jeremiah chapter 6, verse 14. God says, speaking of false teachers and false prophets, they have healed the wound of my people lightly, a.k.a. they put a band-aid on a gaping womb, saying, peace, peace, when there is no peace. Jeremiah chapter 23 and verses 16 and 17. Thus says the Lord of hosts. Do not listen to the words of the prophets. Who prophesy to you. Filling you with empty hopes. They speak visions of their own minds. Not from the mouth of the Lord. They say continually. To those who despise the word of the Lord. It shall be well with you. We'll break that down in greater detail. But let me give you a precursor. One of the sure signs of a false teacher. Or a false prophet. Is a repeated message. That everything is fine. I'm okay. You're okay. God's okay with you. There's never any mention of the hard things of God's word. They say continually to those who despise the word of the Lord, it shall be well with you. And to everyone who stubbornly follows his own heart, they say, quote, no disaster shall come upon you. So one of the telltale signs of false prophets and false teaching is in the words of Phil Robertson, everything is happy, happy, happy. In the New Testament, Jude, there's only one chapter, verses 18 and 19. The Bible says, In the last time there will be scoffers following their own ungodly passions. It is these who cause divisions, worldly people devoid of the Spirit. Second Peter chapter 2, in verses 1 through 3. The Bible says, But false prophets also arose among the people, just as there will be false teachers among you who will, notice this, secretly bring in destructive heresies, even denying the master who bought them, bringing upon themselves swift destruction. Time out. In Virginia, and especially the state of Virginia and North Carolina, in Baptist churches, there is a strong tradition of liberalism. I'm not talking about Democrat, liberalism, uh, libertarianism, not, nothing political, but the belief that this is not the word of God, but it simply contains the word of God. 
Long interesting story is that our seminaries that trained our preachers years ago let people into the seminaries who believed that the Bible contained the word of God and bit by bit by bit by bit preachers were trained to preach feel-good sermons to not preach on doctrine and to preach in such a way that it really was nothing more than how to be a good person. How not to cut your grass on Saturday morning because that's being a bad neighbor. How to make friends and win influence people. And in our state, and especially North Carolina, there's actually two Baptist state conventions. Can you believe that? Do you know why? Because the groups of Baptist churches had become so liberal to where they wouldn't even take a stand to say, this is the infallible, inspired, and errant word of God. And that's what we believe. Amen, church? That this is God's word. Not because Jeff said, but because it comes from God. That the fallout was that little by little, secretly, in churches and in seminaries, people were robbed of the gospel. Hell was not talked about. Repentance was never mentioned. And so the result in my generation is that what the previous generation had been taught in many churches, not all, is that Christianity is about being a good Christian gentleman and being a lady and being nice and giving And being a member of the Lions Club and helping out around your community and being nice. Well, the millennial generation has figured this out. Do you need to come and sit in a wooden pew and hear some guy tell you how to be a good person? Or can you not be as good as you can be out on the boat? Come on. Y'all tracking with me? If that's all that Christianity is, if Jesus was only an example then really, it's especially in our culture to where there's no real truth, where it's your truth or my truth or his truth or their truth, then it's really, who needs Christ? And if I do need Christ, I'll just add him next to Gandhi, add him next to Buddha, add him next to Grandma, who are, they're just nice. But praise God, there's been a movement in the last 20 years or so to go back to the Bible. And I praise God, and I don't want to embarrass you, Brother Pat, but Pat Collins sitting right there was instrumental in our state in helping us have a convention, a gathering of churches to say we believe the Bible. In a time to where it was very, very in the church. Some of y'all is blowing your mind. In the church. But Brother Pat would say this is the inspired, infallible, inerrant word of God. It's only through Jesus and Jesus alone. No exceptions that you can be saved. You would be looked at as a freak and someone who just didn't want to get along. But I praise God that today the tide is changing and that many of you who have come to faith in Jesus Christ, you realize that it was not about being a good person, but it was about realizing that you could never be a good person. And you looked to Christ in faith and you were saved. But Peter called it. He said they will secretly bring in destructive heresies, even denying the master who bought them, but bringing upon themselves swift destruction. What did Jesus say the wide road leads to? It leads to destruction. And there will be, and I'm not cussing when I say this, there will be hell, there will be hell to pay on the day that preachers who would deny the word of God and seminary professors who would strip the faith of pastors, of youth ministers and missionaries and to strip it from everything that makes it Christian, there will be hell to pay when they stand before God on judgment day. 
And it says, and many. So when the heresy comes in, when Christianity begins to be dissolved by taking away the things that truly makes it Christian, Peter says, Second Peter 2, verse 2, he says, and many will follow their sensuality. Because of them, the way of truth will be blasphemed. And in their greed, they will exploit you with false words. Their condemnation from long ago is not idle and their destruction is not sleep, is not asleep. In the words of Johnny Cash, one day God will cut you down. Second Peter 2.14, they have eyes full of adultery, insatiable for sin. They entice unsteady souls. They have hearts trained in greed. They are accursed children. See, notice right after Jesus says in verse 12 and 13 about the two roads, he says that there's going to be false teachers and false prophets to let you think the wide road is, wide road is actually the narrow road. Because for the false teacher, there is no true narrow road. It's kind of like this. Notice that Jesus does not say, he does not say, beware of the wolves and the lions and the bears and these things that you know are predators. He says, beware of false prophet who, they, they come to you, help me out church, in what? Sheep's clothing. Like they've got full BDUs. Battle dress uniforms. They're wearing the same patch on the shoulder. They're carrying the same weapon. They speak the same language. They dress the same. They act the same. But Jesus is saying, be careful because not every teacher who looks like a sheep is actually a sheep. He's saying that the in the inward parts, inwardly, they are ravening wolves. And eventually, a wolf will show its nature when there is the scent of blood. You say, well, what, what exactly is a false teacher? Well, there could be two groups. There are heretics and hypocrites. There are people who come out straight up and deny the Bible. For example, atheistic naturalism. An atheist, Jesus is not saying, watch out for the atheist. Because the atheists say there's no God, there's no spiritual, there's nothing. God's not saying, watch out for the Buddhist who deny an actual God. He's not saying watch out for the polytheists like the Hindus who believe there's 330 million plus gods. I mean, some of us try to struggle to get in five minutes of prayer a day. 330 million. Imagine that. Jesus says, don't, don't worry about the Wiccans. Don't worry about the pagans. Don't worry about the monotheists, the one who said there's only one God. But they have the wrong one. He's not saying don't, don't, don't worry about Baha'i, Zoroastrianism, the, the Jews. He's not pointing to Islam. He's not even pointing to cults. Jehovah's Witnesses, Mormons. It's not true Christianity. They believe in a different Jesus, not the Jesus of the Bible. And the Bible tells us that even if an angel comes down and preaches to you another gospel, let the angel be accursed. Now, in our culture, angels are kind of cute, right? I got the little precious moments, angels, a picture of an angel. Right? Some people have an angel they believe that comes to visit their family. And the angel wants them to worship them. It's not an angel, it's a demon. Like they, 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 they give an angel food cake. In the Bible, man, angels, if you saw one, like warriors would fall down and think that they had died. Like that's how freaky they were. And people are like, oh yeah, I have an angel at my house and he's just so cute. He just sits there, you know, by, by the, uh, by the TV and we talk and it's just like, that, it, it's not an angel from the Bible. 
Like an angel in the Bible, in one night, one angel killed 185,000 Assyrian warriors. I mean, he like ramboed throughout the night, just boom. <laughs> God's people woke up the next morning and looked out, and they're like, wow. I mean, that was the original let the bodies hit the floor. You know what I'm saying? Like, look out, like, they're all dead. Like, that, that's a biblical angel. The apostle Paul says, even if an angel comes, blows everybody away, like, the, the whole, like an angel comes in, and people are like, blown away, and the angel is like, Jesus said, there is more than one way. Everybody's like freaked out by this angel. Paul said, you can tell that angel, be accursed, literally go to hell. Because that's what a doctrine, like some of y'all, that just freaked you out. Y'all all right? That's what, that's what it means. Can we be honest or can we be honest? Because the reason why, and we have to answer this question in this postmodern age, the reason why teaching and false teaching matters is because there's something called reality, right? And reality doesn't really bend with our whims. I love the example Ray Comfort gives about people who say, well, I don't believe that God exists. And he says, well, if you go out on any interstate and you stand in the middle of the interstate and you say, I don't believe that Mack trucks exist and Willie's coming along hauling a load, it doesn't matter your belief doesn't change reality, right? We all know that. My like, guys, if, if your wife is mad and you've heard some weird pop psychology thing that you can just come and, and be like, she's not mad, she's not mad, she's not. Dude, she's mad. <laughs> Even if you don't think so. And we know that, right? Like We know that intuitively. We don't, need, we don't need an argument to convince us that reality is real. So the reason why... True teaching from the Bible and false teaching matters is because if you believe that the false teaching is true, you're going to follow that path. And Jesus says there can be paths that seem really good and they're fun and they're comfortable and they're, they're, they're enjoyable, but the end is in destruction. So the reason why all of this would matter in our culture is because there is something called reality. You know what Jesus is really getting at? He's not getting to the polytheist and the atheist he's getting not even christian cults and if you're confused with that the jehovah's witnesses believe things about jesus that you can never get if you just read the bible the mormons believe that jesus had a brother who was lucifer satan like jesus's brother is satan anybody ever found that that's because it's not there it comes from joseph smith that's not true biblical christianity at all you say, well, Jeff, it almost sounds like you're mad. No, I'm concerned. In our day and time, we have to change around what we view love as. If we really love people, we're going to tell them the truth in love. And we're not going to tell them the truth as if it's an issue of how much we know versus how much they don't know. But it is simply like the old preachers would say, it is one beggar telling another beggar where to find bread. And it's only through Jesus. What Jesus is doing here is he is talking about the ones that pose as Christian leaders and they would even say that they believe in the inerrancy of the Bible, that they believe in Jesus, but they would say that this is the word of God. They would hold up a Bible and say, this is God's word. Jesus is God's son. God is real. Jesus is coming again. But Jesus, throughout his teaching, talks about it's not so much what they say, And this is the whole point of this message pivots on this. One of the the most sure ways that you can detect a false teacher is what they do not say. 
You catch that? They can say the good parts of the gospel about how God is love. About how Jesus can save anyone. But where it begins to shift is it's where they omit things that you have to include for it to truly be Christian. For example, if all that is spoken of is the love of God, what really makes God's love amazing? You know the old song, Amazing Grace, how sweet the... That saved a wretch. We don't use the word wretch. Like we don't, we don't use that and pick up basketball. Somebody elbows you. You wretch. I mean, the whole game would stop. They're like, what just happened? Right? Like we don't use that. Wretch. Like that means, that means you're a worm, dude. Like you are low. You're a scumbag. Dirt bag. Like a perfect target for the wrath of God. The thing that makes God's love and His grace so amazing is that He would offer it to people like us. But if we are told by preachers and teachers that we are good people, then we're like, well, of course. I mean, yeah, I have mistakes in my life, but why wouldn't God offer me His amazing grace? It's almost like we think that God's obligated to. You say, well, well, does that, does that teacher or preacher, and I can't wait till we come to next week, it's gonna be a lot of fun. Do they actually believe in a place called hell? Do they really believe that Jesus is the only way? Ask yourself the question, do they talk about it? If it's never mentioned, then let's look at it like this. Have you ever known somebody and they, 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 they have a particular hobby and they are all about that hobby? Think about restoring cars. You take somebody that's really into restoring cars and the guy, he talks about the cars like, that's my baby. I just spend time with her. I'm trying to fix her up. It's like, bro, you, like we, we have single people at our church, you know, like if you're not married, you know, it's like, that's your baby? Come on, y'all work with me now. It like, I mean, passionate about it, like passionate about, about the waxing job. I'm like, you know, you spend three or four hours waxing this car and you step back and you're just like, teary eyed. I love you, you know, and like they're pat, like they'll talk about the engine and just like blow you away with details. And all you asked was like, oh, what kind of car is that? Four hours later, he's still going passionate. The reason why is because he sees value in that. For for whatever reason, he loves it. He gets joy from it. So if you're regularly listening to to someone on the radio or the internet or on Christian quote-unquote television, and they never talk about the things that Jesus hammered on, you must be saved. You're wicked. (laughs) You're a sinner. In other words, things that would cause people to turn the channel. Can we say it like that? Things that would call, cause most people naturally to turn the channel. If they say they believe it, but they never talk about it, either they don't believe it or they're just not passionate about it. And if you're not passionate about something, then do you really, truly believe it? So who are false teachers? We've got more than we can cover today, but I want to leave you with this. Two movements that we'll look at next week. Number one would be the word of faith movement that says that the word of faith is in your mouth, that you simply speak. And by you speaking the word of faith, whether that is, ladies, you see that guy in church and you're like, I need a good godly man. 
God, in the name of Jesus, I claim it that I will be pursued by that man. That would be freaky, right? Or, God, I, I am healed. Or, God, I will have that job. I will be able to get that car. That is the word of faith movement. And the word of faith movement actually uses and manipulates the true God to get to the people's true God, which is cold, hard cash. Now think about it. Are we to use God to get things from him? Or are we supposed to dedicate all that we are to him and to be used by God for his glory? Obviously, we're here for God, but the word of faith movement teaches that you can manipulate God by simply saying things. And then there is the prosperity gospel, which says that it's always God's will for you to be healthy and wealthy. Well, let me ask the question. Let's ask it together. Have you ever known of a Christian who's died? You're like, ask on, oh great one. Really? Of course. If it's true, logically, that it's always God's will to heal, then every Christian you've known who has died, if that's true, then it's true, has been out of God's will. And on the surface, prima facie, that's absurd. Prosperity teaching, if we look at the Bible, we'd have to say some of the great Bible heroes were actually big losers. Think about the Apostle Paul. I mean, that guy was beaten, physical problems. He had a thorn in the flesh, some physical ailment. We don't know exactly what it is. He prayed and prayed. And God says, you know what, Paul? I could heal you, but I'm not going to. I'm going to use your physical problem for my glory. Let's think about Peter crucified upside down. Jesus, Jesus, Jesus is a good example, I would think, right? Wouldn't you? Pretty good example. Thanks, Paul. Like, Jesus didn't have a house. Jesus had relational problems. To put it mildly, when he started his ministry, his family said, he's crazy. We don't know who that guy is. And then would you call relational problems, relational problems if all of your closest friends had run out on you? And one guy should try to kill another guy. That's Peter trying to take off the guy's head with his sword. Missed, got his ear. You have no backup. And yet this whole throng crowd of people is chanting, torture him to death, crucify him. Would you call that relational problems? Jesus was homeless. He was rejected. Jesus was stressed in the Garden of Gethsemane. Doctors will tell us now that to actually bleed so sweat drops of blood that has intense excruciating stress to where the blood vessels actually they burst and blood is mingled with sweat let's think about hebrews 11 the hall of faith as we know it it talks about the heroes of god's word who were persecuted to where they went around wearing nothing but rags living in caves and it said that they were the ones of whom the world was not worthy These Christians throughout the ages who had no bill of rights, who had no gun, who had no ability to go to another country. Jesus says through his word that they, that they were not, the ones who were persecuting were not even worthy to have that person in the jail or in the stocks. We get here every month the voice of the martyrs 
magazine. And it's about our persecuted brothers and sisters in the third world. And the thing that honestly makes me ill, it makes me sick, is what America exports in terms of Christian teaching. To are these people in third world countries who have a predatory tax system, who have gangs overrunning their land, who have warlords in the case of Africa, Christians who are being hunted down by gangs of armed, machete-carrying, AK-47 wielding Muslim terrorists, being burned, being shot, and they're able to get a transmission from the United States. And do you know what they hear many of our well-known preachers say? That if you're in the will of God, then you'll have more money than you need and you won't have really any problems because God wants you to be free. Listen, friends, brothers and sisters, if that's true, then Jesus and all his apostles were absolute losers. Because the gospel is not about having your best life now. The title of Joel Osteen's book, Your Best Life Now. And I'm not trying to to be funny um, here, but if that's true, if this is your best life now, then it means that you go to hell. If this is the best it gets, then you're on your way to hell. But for a Christian, this is as worse as it gets. Isn't that good news? That we're going to be with Jesus and the gospel is not about using God to get to the God of money. The gospel is about God forgiving us, washing us clean and being used for the glory of God.